You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. Our worship team did a great job this morning. Thank you so much. And um, I was thinking about the water baptism and... um, Donna was saying, you should see if this is the time for you to be water baptized. And I thought, well, really, what's sort of the sign that you should be baptized in water? Here's, here's the sign. If you've never been baptized in water, that's the sign. <laughs> um, in the New Testament, they were baptized upon conversion, upon receiving the Lordship of Jesus and... Uh, in other cultures, we don't understand in America, I think, how significant being baptized in water actually is. Um, in Eastern cultures that have a greater appreciation for things like that maybe than we do in the West, you could lose your life by being baptized in water because people know you have made a major decision to follow Jesus no longer be a Buddhist, no longer be a Muslim or whatever, whatever you were. And um, baptism and uh, Passover or, or the Passion Week have such a integral connection with each other because to be baptized in water is to say you fully identify with the death, the burial, and what else? The resurrection of Jesus. It's, um, it's a faith participation, and I've seen wonderful things happen in baptism. Um, anyway, I highly recommend it. That was a commercial. <laughs> so good to be here this morning. Jesus is uh, the most special person ever. And the marvel of the good news is we can know him personally. We can know him as a true person. It's, you know, how else, how else can you put it? I remember when I met Jesus in college, I lost all my friends but one. And uh, I won the lottery because <laughs> I got the best friend. I got a friend that sticks like a brother. I think about the old hymn, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And there's a, there's a reality to life that uh, sometimes is difficult. Anybody aware of that yet? If you're not, I'm just giving you a little clue. <laughs> Stuff happens. So. But Jesus is always there. The promises of the Bible, I'll never what? Leave you nor forsake you. So if you ever felt left or forsaken by Jesus, you weren't. Let's believe the Bible this morning. Wouldn't that be great? So, all right. We're going to talk about what I've called the Emmaus Road Encounter. And I want to set this up a little bit, just bring all of us into the same, into the same uh, picture, the same scenario. Out of obscurity, Jesus appeared onto the Jewish scene in a three-and-a-half-year flash of glorious brilliance, healing the sick, doing remarkable miracles, confronting hypocrisy, dispensing wisdom, and giving hope to the hopeless by preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. 
Over and again, Jesus warned his disciples of three things. He would be betrayed, he would suffer and die, and he would rise again from the dead. No one believed him. None of them got that. Actually, when you look in the, uh, just, if you look through all four of the Gospels and you see things that happen a lot, maybe they didn't happen as much as the sum total of all four Gospels. But say you look in one Gospel at certain events, like the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus told his disciples between five and seven times, depending on how you count it, he was going to be betrayed. But they were really completely clueless when all this all this happened. Now, after the resurrection, Jesus makes numerous appearances to his disciples. But in the New Testament, there are really only two extensive narratives or two um, sort of complete, full-bodied stories about something he did after the resurrection. In both of those stories, and this gives us an idea of what Jesus is like um, when you see what he did after he was resurrected. In both of them, Jesus is rescuing or restoring followers who are disappointed, disillusioned, and confused. That's good news. For the disillusioned, disappointed, and confused, Jesus is after you. How many of you remember that psalm that says, Surely goodness shall do what? Follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of us need to slow down so what's following us can catch us. Anyway, that's a little comic concept there. In both of them, Jesus is rescuing. He's restoring followers who are disappointed, disillusioned, and confused. One of these stories is at the end of the Gospel of John. That's the one where Jesus appears on the shores of the Sea of Galilee with the intention of restoring Simon Peter, who had returned to fishing after his epic threefold denial of the Lord uh, just prior to his crucifixion. The second story is the one we're going to look at today in the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. After God raised Jesus from the dead, where do we find him? Well, in Luke 24, we find the resurrected Jesus in disguise, walking down a dusty back road to a nondescript town named Emmaus, tracking two confused disciples whose disappointment was fueled by their disillusionment and unbelief. And we find that Jesus went out of his way, and this is so marvelous when we see this, I hope this will really touch you. Jesus went out of his way to devise a custom, tailor-made circumstance to turn around these two depressed men who were heading in the wrong direction because that's where unbelief always takes you, the wrong direction. And so I have on the overheads here um, about 21 verses, which is a lot of verses to read, but not really. It's just a lot of verses to read because we don't read many. But I think uh, I want you to be fully integrated. I have two people on the second row that enjoyed that last comment, and you have no idea how meaningful that is to me. (laughs) Anyway. Luke 24, verse 23. Is that 23? 13. Whew, baby. Optometrist, here I come, I guess. I don't know. Later that Sunday, two of his Jesus' disciples were walking from Jerusalem 
to Emmaus. You can read along, in, but listen to this. A journey of about 17 miles. They were in the midst of a discussion about all the events of the last few days when Jesus walked up and accompanied them in their journey. They were unaware that it was Jesus walking alongside them, for God prevented them from recognizing him. Jesus said to them, you seem to be in a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about so sad and gloomy? They stopped, and the one named Cleopas answered, haven't you heard? Are you the only one in Jerusalem unaware of the things that have happened over the last few days? So Cleopas rebukes Jesus for being an idiot. <laughs> the stuff the Lord puts up with because he loves us, right? And here's, here's wonderful Jesus. So Jesus asked, what things? And see, what, what we're going to see is Jesus got to flush us out of the bushes. And what I mean by that is, actually, he's got to flush out of our belief structure those things that have gotten us where we are. That makes sense. So, talk about that a little bit more in a minute. What things, Jesus asked. The things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. And what we're going to see is they basically preach um, an incomplete gospel that leaves out the resurrection. And there is no gospel without a resurrection. One of the things we find out in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, is that in the body of Jesus, God condemned sin in the flesh. Now, it's not really saying he condemned Jesus, although there's a lot of debate about that. But the idea was in God located in one single place, in one single time, evil and sin. And through death, he condemned all of that sin so that you could no longer suffer with it. There's a, there's a tremendous truth there. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So they missed that. So here's what goes on. They say the things about Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they replied. He was a mighty prophet of God who performed miracles and wonders. His words were powerful and he had great favor with God and the people. But three days ago, the high priest and the rulers of the people sentenced him to death and had him crucified. We all hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel, redeem and rescue Israel. Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing. They said they went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman said. Now hear this next little comment, which is pretty remarkable. But no one has seen him. That's what they told Jesus. But no one has seen him. So Jesus said to them, why are you so thick-headed? Do you have room for Jesus who may call you thick-headed? I think... You know, we love Jesus. Jesus is wonderful, but he can talk straight. Did you know that? He can, he can fix you pretty quick. Why are you so thick-headed? Why do you find it so hard to believe every word the prophets have spoken? Wasn't it necessary for Christ the Messiah to experience all these sufferings and then afterward to enter into his glory? Then he carefully unveiled to them the revelation of himself throughout the scripture. He started from the beginning and explained 
the writings of Moses and all the prophets, showing how they wrote of him and revealed the truth about himself. I have a friend of mine who says he imagines that was probably the best message ever preached, ever. Jesus preaching Jesus from every aspect of the Old Testament revelation. What size crowd was there? Two people. Two people. Reminds me of the woman that got healed of multiple sclerosis in this meeting I was doing in Cincinnati after the meeting was over and nobody knew. You can't figure the Lord out. I would think, why wouldn't you heal her up front so everybody could see it? It's because he just does things his way. It's pretty amazing. Preaches the best message ever to two, two, two disappointed disciples. Verse 28. As they approached the village, Jesus walked on ahead telling them he was going telling them he was going on to a distant place. They urged him to remain there and pleaded, stay with us, it will be dark soon. So Jesus went with them into the village. Joining them at the table for supper, he took bread and blessed it and broke it, then gave it to them. All at once their eyes were opened and they realized it was Jesus. Then suddenly in a flash, Jesus vanished from before their eyes. Mm. Stunned, they looked at each other and said, why didn't we recognize it was him? Didn't our hearts burn with the flames of holy passion while we walked beside him? He unveiled for us such profound revelation from the scriptures. They left at once, hurried back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples. When they found the 11 and the other disciples together, they overheard them saying, it's really true. The Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. And I'll, I'll stop right there. This is such a remarkable story because it reveals um, just, just so much about the character and the nature of Jesus. I want to go through s- several of these different verses and just make, I think, make some points that really will speak to us. We see in verse 13 that these two disciples were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And we find out through the process of the story, it's because they were disappointed. And disappointment can be such a tremendous enemy. So they're walking away from the purpose of God for their lives. Because the purpose of God at this particular point in history was in Jerusalem. Actually, one of the most amazing occurrences in all human history was just 50 days away, which was going to be the outpouring of the Spirit in Jerusalem. And if you were one of those 120, you were going to have one of the most incredible encounters with God, an encounter that so revolutionized the church that within 300 years, the church had swept the entire Roman Empire. It's really an incredible, uh, it was an incredible event. Um, one of the things about disappointment, disappointment can lead us into unbelief. When things don't happen the way we, we want them to happen, it affects our belief structure. And then inaccurate perceptions can lead us to make bad decisions and destructive behavior. If you become hopeless, which is a byproduct of wrong believing, you become vulnerable to giving up your resolve to do the right thing and make the right choices. In verse, verses 14 through 16, we see that God prevented them from recognizing 
Jesus. And so Jesus sort of sneaks up on these guys. And um, I don't completely understand how it was that God prevented them from knowing who Jesus was. I wonder if part of that was a heart condition. And what I mean by that, I wonder if you have been really disappointed, you do not see life accurately. Another thing I've realized is sometimes God has to sneak up on us to help us. One thing I've learned when people discover I'm a preacher, they uh, often hide their true feelings or what they really think about things. You understand how that works? And I think people probably treat the Lord the same way. How many of you uh, act religious when you go to church? (laughs) Yeah. Why? That's sort of weird if you think about it. But it's just, it's, just, it's just the way we are. We adjust ourselves based on who we think we're talking to. And so Jesus comes up on them, and he engages them in a conversation. He says, you seem to be in such a deep discussion about something. What are you talking about? Why are you so sad? Why are you so gloomy? And the idea about being sad and gloomy is also an evidence of unbelief. And then they sort of rebuke, Cleopas sort of works Jesus over. Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't really know what happened? And he was the only one in Jerusalem who really did know what had happened. And so the people who had it wrong were sad and gloomy, and the one who had it right said this the very first time he appeared to people. Rejoice. Do not be afraid. Tell my disciples, my brothers, it's the first time Jesus used the term brothers. Tell my brothers, they will find me in Galilee. And so that's what the resurrected Jesus looked at life. That's how he looked at life. The people who got it wrong were sad and gloomy. The only one who had it right based his entire sensory life on rejoicing, on being fearless, and revealing to people that if you want me, you can find me. I really like that. Jesus, that's good, man. The first recorded post-resurrection statement of Jesus is this. Rejoice. Let's say that together. Rejoice. First thing Jesus said. Then he said, throw off all your fears. Let's say that together. Throw off all your fears. Then he said, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee there will find me there. And there's a little something interesting there. If you don't tell people about your life in Jesus, do you know your life in Jesus will shrivel up? And that's the process. That's the model that Jesus laid out. I don't think he was laying out a model. I just think he was demonstrating the way the spiritual life actually works. He says, rejoice. Don't be afraid. Go tell my disciples. They're going to find me in Galilee. And so he meets these guys on the road. They're in a mess. He knows they're in a mess. He wants to help them get out of the mess. And so they tell Jesus, are you the only person that doesn't really know the things that went on? And so Jesus says, what things? And so then they begin to preach the gospel to Jesus about Jesus, but it's inaccurate. They leave out the resurrection. So he initiates this encounter to help these two men identify the lives they believed so Jesus could replace them with faith in the truth. I marvel that 
Jesus didn't hesitate to continue to help him when Cleopas treated him so rudely. Are you the only one that doesn't get what's going on? And you're thinking, hey, man, I was, I was on the cross. I mean, I do get it. I know. I. But he doesn't do that. He says, oh, um, what's your problem? Tell me all about it. Get it out of your system. Here's something we should pay attention to. Jesus never asks us questions because he doesn't know the answer. We don't know the answer. And when I'm talking about answers, I'm talking about closely held beliefs. You, you can't be, a friend of mine used to say, you can't be a vacuum on two legs. Unbelief is not non-belief. It's wrong belief because you believe something. Even if it's you believe you don't believe anything, that's still a that's still a very strongly held belief. Actually, Watchman Nee, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he wrote Sit, Walk, and Stand, a number of books, famous Chinese Christian. He used to lead um, atheists to Jesus by getting them to pray to a Jesus they didn't believe in. He would say, you need to ask this Jesus to help you. And they said, well, I don't believe in him. He said, well, tell him. Tell him you don't believe in it. What's it going to hurt? If he's not there, it won't matter. If he is there, maybe he'll help you. And he would literally lead people to the Lord by getting them engaged with this real person named Jesus who wants to make a difference. So Jesus asked him this question, and I believe he asked him that question so they could get out of their system all those things that were closing in on them. couple of my notes. What's the evidence that we believe the wrong things? We're depressed. I wrote a book, Harbinger of Hope. How many of you in here have not read Harbinger of Hope? Please tell the truth. Now, you're the reason I'm not a bestseller. (laughs) I hold you guilty. I wrote a book called Harbinger of Hope, and one chapter alone, no. Ten paragraphs out of one chapter is worth the entire cost of the book which is $75. No, that's right. It's 18. You can, listen, they've already discounted that book on Amazon. It's 12 bucks. So you're getting a $75 value for 12 bucks. But in the book I talk, I analyze what it is to be hopeless. And hopelessness is not a cause. At first, it's a consequence. But if you allow it, Long enough, it can become a cause. I think it can actually change your body chemistry. But hopelessness is a byproduct of an inaccurate belief system. It matters what you believe. The Bible, if you believe this Bible, and I think many of us really do know, we've proven in our lives, it's, it's, it's truth, it's validity. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and what shall happen. The truth will set you free. And so... Believing accurate truth has an oftentimes immediate and powerful effect in your body, in your mind, and in your soul. Now, being convinced of the wrong thing can conceal the truth from us. I read this quote lately, uh, recently. We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. We don't see things as they are. We see them 
as we are. And I'm going to repeat this a couple of times because that's such an important truth. I made another note. If you don't like the way the world looks, you need to change. Oh, there's a lot I can say about that. Now, back to uh, Luke 24. The, the byproduct we find in Cleopas' life of not believing everything Jesus had said prior to his death, burial, resurrection was that they became hopeless. He said, we all hoped that he was the one who would redeem and rescue Israel. Well, the truth was he did. He just didn't do it the way they thought he was going to do it. One of the things um, we need to understand about hopelessness is it reveals... How many of you have been disappointed? How many of you have been disillusioned? If you have an illusion, wouldn't you like to get rid of it? That's what disillusionment does. In other words, to be illusioned is to have a false hope or a false notion about something. And when we lose that, actually our whole lives can fall apart. I was thinking recently um, there, there's a difference between your identity and your assignment. Let me say that again. There's a difference between your identity and your assignment. I, I know a guy and his, he believes he'll die if he doesn't preach. He has to preach. If he can't preach, he's depressed. He's got a problem. He thinks he's a preacher. But that's his assignment. That's not who he is. Who you are is who you are to God. Who you are is who you are as an individual. What you do is simply an assignment. Maybe it's a five-year assignment. Maybe it's a 10-year. Maybe it's a 20-year assignment. Here's how you know you have confused your identity with your assignment. When your assignment changes, you have an identity crisis. A friend of mine just retired. He was selling uh, paint. And I said, when you retired, did you have a crisis? He said, my goodness, I did. I said, what happened? He said, well, all those years, I had 40, 50 people asking me for stuff all the time. I had 10, 12 of these dealerships I managed. And the day I retired, the phone quit ringing. It was me and Kathy, my wife and I. He didn't know who he was. You have to know who you are between you and Jesus or when your assignment changes or even worse, let's say you fail your assignment. What do you do then? But see, the wonder of the gospel is Jesus is looking for failures. You can, you can, you can, you can succeed your way out of the presence of God, but you can never fail your way out. You can succeed your way out of the presence of God, but you can never fail your way out. Now, what do I mean by that? You can leave God because you're blessed. You can turn and walk away from him. Now, he doesn't turn his back on you. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I'm talking about the subjective way we operate. But if you fail, that's, that's, that's the basis. Us not being able to measure up is the basis for what it is to be a believer. Jesus didn't go look for the best people because it would embellish his record. 
You're going to make his association look great? Actually, people could not believe Jesus still, was still continued to be interested in Simon Peter. The Gospel of Mark after the resurrection. Mark wrote because Mark was Peter's protege. It only shows up in the Gospel of Mark. He said, go tell my disciples and Peter that I go before them into Galilee. What were they saying? Be sure Peter knows because he failed, I didn't discard him. Go tell my disciples and Peter. And we actually find here in Luke 24, it says, um, the Lord has risen from the dead. He even appeared to Peter. So, we hoped. Let me ask this question. How many of you deal with hopelessness and depression? Yeah, let's do this. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I ask that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that we would see who it is you are, who it is you are to us, and who we are to you. And Lord, flush out of our system those faulty belief structures that keep us from entering into the fullness of who you are, into that abundant life you promised us, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, one of the uh, most comical episodes here we find in Luke 24, 22 through 24, Early this morning, some of the women informed us of something amazing, it says. They went to the tomb and found it empty. They claimed two angels appeared and told them that Jesus is now alive. Some of us went to see for ourselves and found the tomb exactly like the woman said, but no one has seen him. And so Cleopas is telling the resurrected Jesus that no one has seen the resurrected Jesus. What, what could that truth mean to us? I believe it means this at least. You have everything you need right now, right where you are. You just need to ask the Lord to open your eyes to see what he has for you. We find in the book of Ephesians, Paul prays twice that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened to know everything Jesus has done for us. But that to me is so comical, telling Jesus... Nobody has seen Jesus. It's crazy. But Jesus did say, why are you so thick-headed? I guess so, huh? Slow of heart. Then we find over and over and over, three times throughout this whole episode in Luke 24, and I'm not going to go cover all of them, but three times Jesus unveils the Scripture, unveils himself, and gives amazing revelation for these guys to feed on that begins to radically change their life. One of the things in, in, in verse 29, when Jesus acted like he was going to leave them when they were about to have supper, it says they urged him to remain there and pleaded. They urged him to remain there and pleaded. And one of the things that touched me is how, how truly hungry are we for the presence of Jesus? A friend of mine, um, Wade Taylor, used to say, um, 
God appreciates being appreciated. There's a relational dispensation. There's this aspect that goes on between us. If we will truly hunger for the Lord, he will truly come and meet us in remarkable ways. The Bible says they urged him and pleaded with him to stay. And it changed Jesus' mind and he stayed. Jesus wants to be wanted. Let's say that together. Jesus wants to be wanted. He came into his own. His own received him not. But this is remarkable. But to as many as received him, not it, not a doctrine, not a concept, not a translation of the Bible, not a theory, but to as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the privilege, and the authority to become children of God. By receiving him. And then they broke bread. Jesus vanished from their eyes. But the most remarkable thing happened. When they saw Jesus at night, they got up and went all the way back to Jerusalem. Because when you really see Jesus, he renews your strength. When you really see Jesus in the context of where you've been disappointed, where you've been wounded, where you've been hurt, when you really see him for who he is, when uh, Sarah was, was singing that this morning, that we might see how he sees us. When you see how Jesus sees you, it gives you strength. It doesn't diminish you. It increases you. It says they left at once and they hurried back into the place disappointment and frustration and depression had driven them away from, which was the very will of God. You cannot afford to allow disillusionment and disappointment to rule your life because it is a cruel ruler. And Jesus makes us this promise and it's too big to be true. He promises to never disappoint us. If we're disappointed, it's not on Jesus. It's on us or it's on somebody else, but it's not on Jesus. We got to give him that. We got, we've got to have that, we've got to have that baseline when it comes to the character of Jesus. He never leaves. He never forsakes. He never disappoints. But he appeared to them in the breaking of bread. And we're going to have communion this morning. And I read this recently. The table of the Lord is the Lord's table. That means he's in charge of the guest list. And what I mean by that is Jesus is the one that invites people to communion. So this is an open communion. Now, um, I failed to get some of the details on what table has what. Are there details? For all our gluten-free marvelous people, the, um, the communion at the end is gluten-free. So that's awesome. I want to invite those who are going to help share the communion to come forward. And I want to read a couple of verses. But listen, when you receive communion, you're making a statement of faith that you believe in Jesus. 
Maybe you've never made that statement of faith. You want to make it today. This is a great way to do it. Maybe you've made that statement, but your faith hadn't been that good. You haven't done the right thing. You want to get right with God. This is a great way to do it. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 11. I have handed down to you what came to me by direct revelation from the Lord himself. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and he gave thanks. Then he distributed it to the disciples and said, Take it and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. The wonderful thing is the context. The night Jesus was being betrayed, he told his disciples, I want you to have this meal with me. He instituted the first communion at Passover. And he said, do this in fond remembrance of me, knowing they would all forsake him. He didn't want their conscience defiled by their inability to be faithful in a difficult setting. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it, and whenever you drink this, do it to remember me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the story. You're pro- proclaiming our Lord's death until he comes. And so let me just welcome you to come this morning and receive communion. So you can begin to come out of your seats and come forward. communion as a family or you don't you don't have to wait father thank you so much we ask you to bless this time
we have ministry teams, people we've trained to um, pray for you. If you need healing, they can pray for you for that or anything else you might need. So what we do is after this morning's service, if you'll come over on this side of our auditorium here, we'd be glad to have this team begin to pray for you. stand together and Lord we just thank you for this morning Lord thank you so much for the gospel thank you for what you've done for us Jesus I pray with the apostle Paul from so many hundreds even thousands of years ago Lord open our eyes Lord open our eyes to see what you've done for us who you are Lord open our eyes Let us experience that resurrection power that dwells in us. Lord, you said the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, it dwells in us. It will quicken. It will make alive our mortal, our natural, our fleshly bodies. Father, release the reality of that unmatched power. Lord, thank you so much for the good news. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the assurance that you're good and you care about us. Father, we stand in opposition to all those voices of hopelessness and defeat. All those voices of criticism and hostility and negativity, Lord. We refuse to yield, but we as the Apostle Paul, we yield our members to righteousness. We yield our members to those things that are good, those things that are pure, those things that are holy, those things that make for a good life. Father, thank you so much for today. Bless, 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 bless us all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, amen and amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.